This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, episode 23. Always taking a step back to kind of evaluate yourself, um, understanding that, you know, nobody, nobody knows everything. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach, Scott Caulfield. With me on the podcast today, Gary Boros, Assistant Sports Performance Coach at the University of Denver. Coach, thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. I've mentioned a couple times to other people, too. We are literally right next to the weight room. So if there's any uh, bangs or bumps that we hear in the background, it's probably just uh, weights getting thrown around on the other side. <laughs> um, cool. So, you know, uh, you've got some great experience in the strength and conditioning field. I like to start with kind of some different questions. Uh, if you're getting tasked with building your own facility or, you know, a new program and you've only got a limited budget, um, what three items would you start with and, you know, why would you have them? Sure. Uh, first and foremost, probably be just a regular set of dumbbells um, just because of the, the variation of exercise selection that you can actually use from a beginning standpoint, novice standpoint to someone who's a little bit more advanced. Um, to go along with that, I would also say bands because, again, you can incorporate many different methodologies, very styles of exercises and then just an overall barbell again just for teaching purposes of how, how to, uh, to teach some of the compound movements um, so those would be my, my top three choices for sure cool yeah keeping the fundamentals simple right, right. keep that they're the basics for a reason right, right. I love it I love it um, and how about this so if you could if you had a magic wand you mm -hmm. have your magic uh, ability to change coaching you could eliminate a coaching practice sure what would you banish from ever being able to be used sure. in the coaching world. Sure. I think it would be the the old school mentality of, of we need to grind our athletes, you know, into the ground. Um, um, you know, training session is, is not a good training session unless the athletes are, are throwing up. And I kind of, you know, that, that mentality is, is long gone. You know, we're, we're stress managers um, controlling our athletes, you know, making sure we manage what their, what their load is like in season, what they're going through, um, understanding the other stresses on their body schoolwork, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we really have to, to make sure we're on top of that. So if I could eliminate one thing, that would be, that would be number one. It's oh, great. It's definitely, like you said, old school is a great, uh, a great way to put it. I think people, you know, sometimes still think if it's not hard, then they're not getting anything out of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and again, this is kind of a fun one, but if you could have a uh, dinner or take a, uh, get out to drinks with, uh, someone, uh, we'll give you a three people, sure. either living dead or fictional characters. Okay. You know, okay. Who would it be? I think first and foremost would be John Wooden hands down just because of of how he could approach his players and how he was able to interact and get the most out of the players that he actually had um, to kind of put that into a present context I would say coach K or coach Mike Krzyzewski would be the next one again just just how he is able to interact and his coaching style with his guys um, and then number three, just someone who I think is just a superb athlete would just be hands down Michael Jordan. <laughs> nice, nice. 
<clears throat> I think that's a good mix. I've always thought wooden would be great too. Oh yeah. Just from all the, like we were talking about with fundamentals, like, right? Yeah. Like he would, he used to, I think one of the stories is he would teach the guys how to put their socks on the sure. right way so they didn't get blisters in practice. Sure. Like talk about, exactly. You know, breaking it down to the fundamentals and how you do it. I mean, that get, doesn't get much more basic than that. Well, it's just being able to, you know, like what we do in our field, it's just being able to communicate, to educate, you know, our student athletes. And, and, you know, he's, he had a, a, obviously a way that he could do that. And I think that's what we have to strive for as, as performance coaches of, you know, getting through our athletes, educating them and putting them in the best spot to be successful. That's a great point. Um, so you've been here at Denver now for how long? Uh, only since July. Okay. So very short time. Um, you came from being the head strength coach director at Mm -hmm. Bemidji State. Yep. You were there for three years. Talk to us about going from being a director and Mm -hmm. now you're here and you're taking an assistant position. Sure, sure. Well, when I I first started my first year at Bemidji State, I not only was the director, but I was the only strength coach at the entire university. Um, And I was in charge of all the athletic teams, so 14 athletic teams at Bemidji State, um, two of them being Division One with men's and women's hockey and then also having a uh, the rest of the athletic program be division two with a football team on top of that um so so time management was was uh something that i really really had to work on um being able to write programs for all of those teams and figure out how am i going to schedule workouts in just one weight room with 14 teams so you can about imagine it was early morning 6 a.m until about eight at night and and that was a that was a big adjustment for me um and then coming here to the to the University of Denver of, of not having some of the responsibilities of scheduling the teams. Um, I only have four teams now being here at the University of Denver, um, that being men's and women's basketball, uh, women's soccer and women's lacrosse. Um, I'm able to give a lot more to my teams. I'm out there every practice with them, understanding uh, the biomechanical patterns that they have, how do they move, um, physiological uh, demands that is placed on their body from an energy system development perspective. Um, it, it's It's been a, a good change, still very demanding, but again, a lot more hands-on and individualized with the teams that I have now. That's a significant workload. So, so how did you manage that? Uh, I mean, you said time management, but like, how did you manage like having an actual life, uh, going home once sure, in a while? Sure, eating? sure. You know, it was a deal where uh, uh, the the, uh, the first year I really didn't have a lot of free time. I didn't really have a, a social life, um, which I was okay with because obviously your student athletes, those are the ones that you have to take care of. That's your job. And so it was um, weekends were, were non-existent. I mean, I was pretty much working seven days a week, um, just trying to get the, the programming standpoint down, which which for some of us is the most challenging job, but also the most rewarding is is how can we give our, our student athletes uh, a solid, you know, scientific based uh, training program um, and not just kind of go through the motions and kind of throw a bunch of stuff on a wall and, and see what actually sticks. So the second, third year, it got a little bit easier when I actually got a graduate assistant. Um, then I was able to actually get, you know, uh, divide the teams up half and half. Uh, still very challenging, but uh, yeah, it was it was a deal where, where not much social time or free time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I know that you've had, you know, people influence your career and kind of advised you as you were coming up uh, who's 
who's some of those people that kind of mentored you coming up along in your developmental years as a coach? Sure, sure. So when my when I first got into the when I first discovered that I wanted to be in the strength and conditioning field. Um, I got my undergrad from the University of Minnesota, uh, Twin Cities, and probably one of the biggest influential people uh, that I had during that time was Cal Dietz. And, and Cal really showed me um, a lot of the programming, uh, how to be a, a stress manager, you know, being flexible. I think that was one of the things I learned along the way was was being able to be flexible in your program. And, and not everything is, is set in stone. If you see something that doesn't work, being able to, to change it. Um, and then just through other um, podcasts, reading other other blogs online, Todd Hammer would be another one. Um, from Robert Morris University, just he's got a good perspective on just handling, um, again, being at a, a little bit smaller university, again, some programming standpoint, um, but also just giving good advice to not only coaches in the field, but young coaches as well. So those would, those would be two right away. Cool. And then how about, is there anything you can think of, like, is there a best piece of coaching advice or key thing that you kind of remember from one of those guys? I think it would just be to, to just, uh, again, I touched on this previously, but, but be flexible, you know, just because you write something down doesn't mean it has to stay that way. I mean, you have to be able to, if you see that it's not working for your athletes, don't be afraid to change it. I mean, you have a, a periodization model, you know, a macro cycle that's written out. But again, if you see something that's not working, you know, be flexible and, and give your athletes what they need. I think the, one of the biggest mistakes I made early on was forcing athletes into programs that they weren't necessarily ready for. Um, and having to take a step back and say, okay, this is a more novice athlete or this is a more advanced athlete and being able to be flexible and, and change the program and, and give them really what they need. Yeah, I think that's a, such a key piece is just not being tied to just because you wrote it on that piece of paper. Exactly. You have to do that. Exactly. Oh, that's a great point. You, um, so you mentioned podcasts or, you know, reading different people's stuff too. Is there, are there any, you know, recommendations are there some must do's for like an up and coming coach or an intern right now kind of in the field they that you think you absolutely have to do this this and this mm -hmm. i would say you know read as much as you can that that's the cool thing about our field is is you know it never changed or excuse me it's always changing um there's always new literature coming out and, and just really to make sure to stay on top of that um, because if you're if you're not educating yourself, you're really doing your student athletes a disservice. And just to try to try to stay on top of that, um, I would say next, just just learning from uh, others in the field. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, don't be afraid to to reach out and, and to fire an email at a at another strength coach and you know ask them a couple questions, kind of about their path and and how they see things. And so just you know if you if you are struggling with something, don't be afraid to to ask for help. No, that's a great point. And uh, I like what you said too about asking other coaches, right? Reaching mm -hmm. out to people, kind of. That's kind of the basis of networking and figuring out how do you how do you go about doing that though? Like, is there a, is there a way that you've done it that you think is a recommendation? And, you know, how do you network when sure. you're trying to build your relationships in the professional? Setting? Sure. Well, if you look at today's day and age, of course, social media has has everything on it, and and a lot of uh, you know. Strength 
strength and conditioning departments, sport performance departments, you know, we'll, we'll post some stuff on there. Um, and then just being able to actually see what they're doing and, and maybe just fire up a, a question where, Hey, how did, how did this come about? How did you, you know, get to this point? Where did you think, uh, think about this from? Um, I would also say just being able to read any, any type of blog that's out there. Um, and just figuring out, okay, who wrote, you know, who's writing some of the articles um, is another great place to start. But again, just, just always making sure that you're, you're up and, and you're doing the best you can to educate yourself. Uh, so is there any recommended, uh, do you have a blog right off the top of your head that you recommend someone to be reading as a new coach or, um, book or anything that you'd say you should definitely read this one? I think first and foremost, I mean, just going actually through the laying a solid foundation would actually just be the, the centrals of, of strength and conditioning. I think, first of all, you know, that gives us all a, a solid foundation and a solid platform to, to learn and then to, to build our skills. Um, another one of my fav- favorites would be the uh, science and practice of strength and conditioning from Zatorsky and, and Kramer. Um, having read that, I always go back and, and we'll look stuff off there and just, you know, re-reference and recite stuff from that one. So that would probably be number one. And, and then, you know, having read it, but having to always go back and reread it again, some call, some say it's the the Bible, if you will. But super training would, would be the next one. Um, again, that one's a little little more advanced, but uh, always some good information in that one for sure. That's the big read. That's right the big one right there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great and great point too about the you know essentials being that baseline level right and then mm-hmm. too with certification people always get ahead of themselves and like no now you have once you've gotten that that's that's your entry level yes that's, that's your basics that you've checked off yeah like it's almost like now you're prepared to learn about being a coach right and i think one i think that's really important factors is once you have that foundation then you can build and grow more but i think unless you have that it's it's going to be a tough going yeah for sure no, that's great um, now you've worked with a ton of different sports you, you had 14 at bemidji now you've got four um what do you recommend doing to for coaches like if you have if you're going to be taking on a new sport that you're not familiar with mm-hmm. well and that was an interesting uh factor that I had here at the University of Denver with not having worked with lacrosse before. And so again, it's kind of that point that I touched on is is really getting out there every single time they have a practice, um, talking with the coaching staff, understanding, you know, their coaching philosophies, their coaching methodologies. What is their daily practice like? What is their their weekly schedule like? Is is one day going to be more of a a lunch pail day or get after it? Or is one day going to be more of a skill or a, a tactical day? And being able to understand how they work practices. Um, but again, being able to really, you know, do your research on that. Again, I, I spoke on it previously, but reading as much as you can on that sport and understanding, you know, the, uh, the uh, physiological demands on their body, the biomechanical um, patterns that they have as well. Um, but again, just, just staying up on that and just spending as much time as you possibly can. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, and yeah, like you said, getting to practice helps you build those. You know, learning what the sport coaches expect. What yes. Kind of, uh, you know, practice habits they have. How do you how do you work within uh, and build relationships with different sport coaches? 
I think just getting, you know, building the, the trust factor, um, explaining what we're doing in the weight room, why we're doing, you know, what it is that we're doing. You know, we all know that, you know, an off season is going to be a, a different setup than an in season. Um, but again, I think not only, you know, like I said, educating the athletes, but we've got to learn to educate the coaches on, on why we do certain things and, and uh, maybe help them, you know, guide any decisions that, uh, that they may have as far as practices. Um, speaking of that, I know with women's lacrosse here, we're able to use the polar heart rate monitoring systems to help kind of control practice. So again, as I previously said, you know, we, we have to be stress managers and, and understand the loads that our athletes are under and being able to use that information to, to guide head coaches decisions on, okay, can can this kid go today or do we have to back off i think is a is a very valuable tool yeah and have they were they using that previously or they were yep yeah. so yep. the coaches are, are have been open to the yes technology. yes and and that's been you know some coaches may be you know a little bit hesitant on that but i think again once you really explain to them okay why are we doing what we're doing and that this piece can really help us if we want to be successful you know when game time comes around i think is a is a very valuable tool well that's huge um, and you guys are doing some cool stuff with the different technology that you have available to mm -hmm. you here so it's, it's great to see the um the benefit too with national championships sure and not just in skiing and, and <laughs> sports yep. um, that, that it's becoming across the board so right but um when you think about things that you've you know learned and developed over the years are there certain things that you've come to understand more deeply as a coach mm -hmm. throughout your career I would say just the uh, again I'll always go back to it because I feel it's a very important uh, part of, of programming is is again knowing when to stress an athlete and, and when to back off of them and to go along with that I think the the programming standpoint of mine is, is something that has really come a long way of, of knowing okay you don't want to grind those kids into the ground all the time and again you have to know what a certain load and a certain intensity is going to do to a kid if that kid is in season or out of season so I think my biggest development has been in just the overall programming standpoint now is it perfect absolutely not I I'm not sure if anyone, you know, programming standpoint really is. Um, but again, just knowing what that is, is, if you throw a certain load on a kid, how are they going to respond and what's it actually going to do to them? And you may be taking something away from them that a coach needs for that, that athlete in practice. So I would say that's number one for sure. Nice. No, it's great. great. Um, so when you think about, um, you know how you've developed you've seen the profession kind of grow and develop and you know different levels and different coaching positions do you is there a way that strength and conditioning coaches should be evaluated that that you feel strongly about or that you see maybe lacking somewhere mm -hmm. or maybe you guys are doing a great job of it here uh, and somebody else could benefit from that somewhere else you know i, I still think that and, and i know it's it's out there a little bit now um, some of the universities have dropped it but i still think there needs to be a, a some sort of platform certification all the way across the board I, I feel that you know having that really really sets you apart um, from a knowledge base of a of a good understanding a fundamental standpoint um, from others um, I think kind of the uh, the reputation that some of us may get is, oh, you're a strength coach or you're, um, you just make your, your student athletes lift weights. Well, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> so I think that would be number one. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. Uh, 
And again, I think we're seeing, you know, we're seeing more and more kind of uh, raising of standards, mm -hmm. and professional expectations. Um, definitely, I know that, you know, uh, professional sports are actually taking a pretty hard look at it now, too, with mm -hmm. Major League Baseball actually requires the CSCS. Right, and right. The NBA string coaches just got it written into their collective bargaining agreement. Um, and it's, it's definitely becoming... Um, the higher standards are definitely, you know, on the way to becoming what we hope they would be. Right, right. Do you see, do you think there's any, um, or what's what's the biggest challenge that you see right now for the profession? And if if there is a way the NSCA could help, do you think, you know, what would your recommendation be? Um, I, I think the, uh, you know, all of us are, are kind of in the same boat is, is we really strive to be the best. And I think the, the one really key factor that the NSCA has done is provide us with a platform, an educational platform um, to not only meet other strength coaches, but just learn other methodologies, other practices. Um, I know when I was exposed to my first NSCA clinic, I was actually fortunate enough to speak at that. That was the central regional clinic uh, up in the Twin Cities um, and being able to to meet some of the other strength coaches, being able to meet Boyd Epley was, was you know, you, you get to meet him and, and shake his hand and, and get a photo with him. And, and that's kind of one of the coolest things I've ever had as far as being in this field. But um, I think just being able to, to have that platform and, and, and keep offering, you know, local clinics, regional clinics, national clinics, so that we can, as, as strength coaches, we can, we can fulfill that that uh, block of, of learning over and over and over again so we can give our athletes the best possible chance to succeed. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I I was a state director myself and my first experience too was was speaking at state clinics yep. and kind of getting involved with people on that level and that's what I've always said is that the thing that sets the NSCA apart is that it's the only organization, you know, and it's the first organization that ever did that mm -hmm. at that kind of grassroots level. Like right. Got a chance to meet other people within your state who sure. are conditioning coaches or professional or other professionals, you know, mm -hmm. whether you own their own gym, uh, a chance to network, to learn yes. something different that you might not have been exposed to if you're working, you know, 17 hours a day. Right, right. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, and I, I just think it's a, it's a great way, you know, like you said, to, to network and to reach out. And, and that's where, you, you know, you, you, you learn about someone, you, you watch their PowerPoint and you're like, oh, I never thought about things that way. And, you know, you, you shoot them an email and, and again, your network grows and your knowledge grows. So I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. <laughs> That's great. How about, um, you see some kind of roadblocks that people should watch out for if they're a strength and conditioning coach, uh, there's certain things that, you know, you just need to be aware of, um, mm -hmm. you should be cognizant of when you're up and coming. I think just, uh, always taking a step back to kind of evaluate yourself. Um, understanding that you know nobody nobody knows everything um you always have to to uh be educating yourself um i think that's the biggest thing um you know always you know questioning what you do i think is a really important factor because again not everything is always set in stone not everything is always right so being able to to step back you know you know, take a little reflection time and, and, and just think about, okay, what are we actually doing here? Is there a purpose behind what we're doing or are we just kind of having mindless, mindless training? Yeah, no, that's great. Self-reflection is such a big part of it too. And a lot of the times too, it's, 
uh, especially when you're kind of on a smaller staff mm -hmm. or on your own, you know, may not take as much time to think about that stuff, uh, right? Or think about your weaknesses, right? Like right. We talk about strength conditioning, we're always like looking at athlete weaknesses. Yeah. And if we could improve our weaknesses as a strength and conditioning coach, um, is there anything you can think of that would be that's like a key indicator or a way to look to assess yourself like that? Um, I would say just, just having, uh, just having someone maybe take a look at, at actually what you're doing and not be afraid to, uh, to get criticized. You know, it's, it's have someone point out, you know, maybe, maybe try doing it this way. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is, is not having your stuff, you know, be a big secret, being able to say, yeah, here's my stuff. I'm, I'm free to share it because I want to help others. And, you know, just like people have done for me. Um, but then again, being able to, to take some, uh, some criticism and, and being able to make your program better. I think that's, that's one thing that I try to do with, with, uh, you know, my colleagues here at the university of Denver is just share my information and, and, uh, you know, let's all take a look at things and let's figure out what do we really have going on? Oh, that's great. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Having a, um, tough exterior not not having your ego so big that you exactly. can't take someone else's advice it's great yep so you've been in the NCAA now uh, how long have you been a college strength coach oh so let's see so three years at Bemidji State and then uh, prior to that I was a graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach at St. Cloud State um, so that two years there so five and now here I am just starting my uh, going on to be my sixth year cool so, so what do you what do you like most about being the NCAA setting I think just the overall atmosphere, just being, being able to work with, with student athletes, I think is a, a, a privilege and an honor. You know, we're very, very blessed. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, people out there who want to become a strength and conditioning coach, but there's very, very limited uh, positions in this actual collegiate field. Um, so again, just being able to, to work with the, the student athletes um, and also the variety of the sport. I think for me personally, um, instead of honing in uh, just one sport, maybe at the professional ranks I think the variety of, of sports here and being able to work with both genders is to me that's a very uh, a very great experience uh, of not only being able to do that but again expand my knowledge base as well nice. and you talked about you know it's a competitive profession mm -hmm. so how does somebody who's young uh, who's new in the field how do you set yourself apart or kind of do, is there something else? What's that extra thing that mm -hmm. they need to do yep. to be recognized? And I think it's kind of a, it's kind of a cliche, but I think it's very, very true is, is being able to go the extra mile and, and you're going to have to learn and you're going to have to work for free for a while. You're going to have to, you know, do your internship somewhere and you might have to do multiple internships. Um, but again, be willing to be willing to give up your free time, be willing to give up your weekends. Um, and, and, go to clinics, go to clinics at the NCAA or the uh, NSCA offers um, and be go up to people, meet them, shake their hand, um, you know, exchange your, your contact information, network out. I think if you have, you know, and, and you keep a humbling mind uh, along with that, I think that's going to take you very, very far in the field. <clears throat> great. That's great. Great advice. Um, 
about do you have any advice for coaches who have to manage staff? You've had experience again running 14 teams, mm-hmm. and GAs and interns. Any advice for people managing staff? Um, again, previously touched on it, but again, I would say be flexible. You know, understand the point of views that that those coaches are, are trying to get after too. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're just we're we're guiding with our decisions. We don't oversee the program uh, that the head coaches do. Um, so again, being able to share your thoughts um what you see um but then also being you know knowing it might not go your way that they that coaches may want something different so again just being able to be flexible i think is 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 again number one it's got to be one of the key uh key traits of strength and conditioning yes across the board yes Um, so you've worked you know in a smaller again d1 setting now you're in kind of mid d1 setting you also Mm -hmm. had division two uh at midgy yeah is there anything that you notice I mean aside from NCAA rules and whatnot mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. uh, that differ between different divisions or that might be of interest to people listening yeah um, I know just with my experience again I, I can't speak for all of it but just working with um, some of the division two sports and now coming here to Denver working with all division one um, just the overall demand of my time is, is much much higher you know being out with uh, the teams that sport practices warming them up for sport practices being out there and and yes I understand I have the time to do that now compared to what I had before um, but just also um, the coach is really relying on me uh, as far as you know h- how should we set this up you know is this kid you know progressing right can we do something to get this kid faster this kid more in shape um, so just the overall demand uh, of being here at, at uh, an all division one institution is, is much different than division two <clears throat> But are there any, uh, do you think there's any common myths or misconceptions about being a college strength coach? Um, again, you know, kind of touch base on it. I think uh, the common misconception is, is, oh, you just have your kids lift weights. So you're just going to go run, you know, gassers out on the football field and, and we're just going to beat the kids up and, and hope that they get better. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, the, the science part of it, you know, the, the overall, the planning, I think is probably number one too, is, is you know, we're we're not just going to scribble a bunch of stuff on a, on a sheet of paper and hand it to our kids. It has to be a, a systematic, thought-out approach to what we really do. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. And then we, we've kind of alluded to this, but, you know, we've talked about what it takes to be successful. Uh, what's the number one reason that you see people fail to become a strength and conditioning coach? Or what do they give up? Sure, what's sure. The- I think, you know when people are a little bit younger and they're, they're trying to come into the field is they, they don't understand the demand that this job really has on them. They don't see the grind of being in there at, you know, five, six in the morning and sometimes having to, to sacrifice long days, you know, six, you know, some seven o'clock at night, um, being also able to give up your weekends. If, if your teams have competitions, you know, to be around them, um, again, lifestyle management is, is, is crucial, but again, I don't think they understand the overall demand. And, and again, I'm not trying to, to, to scare people away by any means, but just to, you know, let them know what's real and that it is a very demanding job. Yeah. <clears throat> what did, what did, so then what on the kind of flip side of that, what would some of the perks do you think be of being a college strength and conditioning coach? Well, the one main factor and the reason why I got in is I was a college athlete 
I got hurt. That kind of ended things. And and I'd always loved the training aspect of it. And and being around the athletes, I think, is the biggest part for me. And and watching them train and seeing something that that you've taught or that that athlete has worked on and being able to see that in a performance setting, um, a game situation, if you will, and, and watching them do something that you've taught them is is I think that's the most rewarding feeling possible. I mean, these these athletes at this level are are very talented and just to watch them do something is that that to me is the most rewarding yeah, i definitely i definitely agree um, cool man i appreciate you being on you guys are great uh up here it's exciting seeing your success here at denver uh, how can people reach out to you if they want to follow up after they listen to this podcast sure you can go to the uh sport performance uh web um, also, my email address, uh, real simple, just my name. So Gary uh, Boris B O R O S at D U E D U is is really the simplest way to to go ahead and reach me. Cool. <laughs> Thanks again for being on. Looking forward to seeing you guys again soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate. It. Thank you Great. so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.